so rich. Bible open up to Second Chronicles chapter twenty. Second <clears throat> Chronicles chapter twenty. Second Chronicles chapter twenty. Is my collar straight? <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 20. I want to start off in a, in, a, in a good route on this message. Hopefully it's an encouraging message to you. You know, if you wasn't here last Sunday, some of you are probably thankful. But anyhow, if you haven't got a chance to listen to the message, my listen. I beat up on some of you guys pretty rough last Sunday. So I just want to say this, and I want to clarify... I, uh, you know, I, I kind of hammered some of the men last Sunday. If it applied, you know, let it apply. But I do want to say this. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't care nothing about being you know, a beat-you-up pastor that appears self-righteous. I'm, I'm not that. But I, I am so proud to serve, not not just singling out men, but with the men in this church. There, there are godly men who love Jesus in this church, who lead your families, the way that God's Word teaches you to, you're bold, you witness for the Lord, and you ladies too. I'm proud to serve with my sisters who love the Lord out loud and who who lead your families in the way that, that God's Word teaches and that you're a witness of the gospel in public, you're not ashamed. And we got a whole lot of people sitting here today who are in that place. So I just want to encourage you that... Uh, that God is moving and doing great things in your life, and I'm encouraged and inspired by watching you. And if that applies, let that apply. All right. So y'all stand with me this morning in honor of reading God's word, Second Chronicles chapter twenty. <clears throat> I know I read this last week, but I just want to read it again, and we'll start off today in verse thirteen. But it starts in verse one. It says, "It happened after." This, that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Uh, then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Jadi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand you? Are you not our God? who drove out the inhabitants of this land before you, your people Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever. And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple, and in your presence, in your name, is in, because your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, 
and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now, all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mananiah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Y'all be seated. You know, last week we, we looked at this battle that it's talking about here, and I know that there's probably people here that go, what in the world does this have to do with where I'm at in life? It has everything to do with where we're at in life, where we're at in this nation, where we're at in this world, because we face the same battle that they faced then. And last week we talked about one of the greatest weapons of our warfare is praise, the power of praise. And I'm talking about spirit-filled praise from a sincere and a truthful heart. Not just talking about coming to church, singing when we're prompted, you know, and going through emotion. I'm talking about a person whose heart loves God, loves God's word, is overwhelmed by the goodness and the salvation of God in their life. And God's spirit is worshiping both in and through them. And last week I also offered you up a challenge. And that challenge was the fast. You know, Jehoshaphat called for a fast to seek the Lord. And we talked about fasting from some of the things that take so much of our focus. You know, I said, I challenge you to fast from your phone and from TV and from Internet for a time each day where you just focused, you look to the Lord for just the purpose, just to praise Jesus for that time instead of focusing on social media, looking at the TV and and, and watching that garbage and, and all of that. And I just wonder... How many of us accepted that challenge? You know, think about this. The Lord made it easy on me. We, we went on a turkey hunt this week up in Oklahoma. And, and Thursday evening, I figured out that I lost my phone. So if you've tried to contact me, I'm not ignoring you. I didn't have a phone until last night. So, so God made it easy for me, which is not hard for me anyhow on the phone. But, but made it easy for me to do a two or three day fast there. And I'll just put that in there for you. I, I didn't lose all my contacts, but if you if you send me a message, I might have to ask you for who you are. Okay. So in that, um, I I just you know here I want I want to punch punch you a little bit on that. You know we get up and we, we preach and 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 teach and 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 I do this every week, multiple times a week, and and I just want you to understand I'm not here just to give you another little message. That's, that's not my heart. That's not my purpose. That's not my wife's purpose and what she does. That's not, I'll speak for them, the other pastors or teachers in the church. I don't care about entertaining, giving you a neat little message where you go, wow, and you got your emotional bump for the week. You know, what we're facing this coming to this nation, 
you know, God's put me in this place so that I can hopefully encourage you, empower you, teach you, warn you, prepare you for what for the battle that you and your family are facing, that our church and that our country is facing. And so here's the thing. I can I can give you what the Bible says, try to do my best, pray for you, all of those things. But you have to determine whether you're just going to be a casual listener or you're going to take it serious. And so in that, I just I challenge you also to elevate your praise. Where you were praising boldly and publicly and openly, always humble. I'm not talking about putting on a show. And I'm not just talking about it in church. But to where praise to the Lord should be our daily walk. It should be a, an expression of our communication in our family. And I was talking a little Randall uh, before church about this. So I just want to say this. Because I know we're, we're, we're predominantly a blue collar church. A lot of manly men here and I'm all about that. But, but here's where I'm at. I used to be one of those men who I would, who I'd come in, I'd sit in the back, not, nothing wrong with sitting in the back. I would sit in the back, I, I did not sing. Talking about Jesus with my wife, you know, wasn't something that I did. <laughs> Me and Jesus had our thing. Talking to Jesus, you know, even when, when, when Jeremy was smaller, and this was before I was a pastor, I used a preacher and talk about Jesus. No, I wasn't a preacher by no means. But 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 raising him up and being more concerned, I was more concerned about making him my little hunting partner and all that stuff. We baseballed and did all that stuff, and that was, that was where a lot of my focus was at that point in time in life. He was when he was real little, and and so I wasn't one who just praised the Lord all the time. So I understand if you're there, even though you're a believer, sometimes as a man, maybe even as a lady, I don't know, it can be awkward. To talk to your wife about Jesus, as weird as that is, because that's the church culture that we've been raised in. In the 80s, you kept it at the church, basically. Men were men, and they were defined by their quietness. And so I was raised in that mentality, didn't pray out loud. And let me tell you this, it was totally wrong. I was totally wrong. And it led to almost the demise of my family. And it's called pride. That's what I was, was prideful. And, 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 you know, what other people would see. I mean, how, you know, and, and also, I lived a double life. I'd go to church, live one way. I'd go home, live another. So it was awkward to praise when you live a double life, right? But I just want to encourage you. If you hear what woman, man, child, whatever, get over your awkwardness. If you're living a double life, repent. And line your life and trust in the grace and the mercy and the blood of Jesus has made you new and whole. And you have access to praise God as much as Billy Graham does if you're a born-again believer. And it doesn't make you a less man. It makes you more a man to stand up and to lead your family. And, and probably if you've got a believing wife, it wouldn't, it wouldn't disappoint her at all if you went, you know, I know I'm a moron. And I've told my wife that a bunch. I know I'm a moron. I know I'm a wretch. But I do want to lead my family in the right direction. And if you'll help me through this, I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to pray with my kids. I'd like to talk about Jesus out loud. And I, it was kind of like a breaking through the eyes. You know what? Once you start it, just do it all the time. And it's really good. And so I just want to encourage you in that. Don't let the devil keep telling you. You just be still. Be quiet. Your wife will think you're stupid. Your husband will think you're crazy. You're, what will your kids say? Don't ask them, just lead them. So in that, we're in a battle today. And this battle that it's talking about here is a kingdom battle. 
You have three nations coming against the, the physical kingdom of God at that point in time. And in our culture, we face a horrific kingdom battle right now in our culture, our country, and our churches. And it looks overwhelming. If you don't see it as that, you're probably on the wrong side. It's overwhelming. Here's the thing. I believe Satan knows his time is short and he is attacking basically the core pillars of a godly society. He's attacking marriage. I'm going to say some things this morning that are true. And, and I don't care who it offends, if you want to be honest. Marriage was established, created, and ordained by God himself. He created it. He defines it. It's between one man, one woman. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. You understand where I'm at? Anything outside of that is not a marriage. I don't care what law is passed, what the country says, what the culture accepts. Anything outside of that is not marriage. He's attacking our faith. He's attacking the definition of a family. You know, it's funny how the the world tries to have to promote and push things on you and try to make you accept it and intimidate it in so much that they, you know, I've never took a picture of me and my wife and my children and go, this is a family. Like, duh. But but you see them take a picture of two men and some kids, two women and some kids and go, this is a family. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not a family at all. It's an abomination. Not on the kids' part. And I know a lot of us have people in our families, probably, who are involved in that lifestyle. And I'm not sitting here saying those people are hopeless and wicked above all people. There's a lot of wickedness in the church today. And there's just as much sin in the church. But what I am saying is, it's sin. And we will always, in this church, especially as long as I'm here, we will stand in that place. And he's attacking our faith. So many different ideas of salvation. So many different ideas of what a church is and what worship should look like. All these different things that the devil has thrown in there and caused mass chaos. He's attacking the word of God in every way that he can attack it. You know, and here's the thing. Here's what you have. You don't have a family. And then man's definition of a church, well, where two or three are gathered, ain't that a church? No, it's not. It's where two or three are gathered. Well, what about this and that? Doesn't that define a church when me and my buddy, we got together out in a duck blind and we worshiped? Wasn't that church? No, you worshiped, hopefully. But don't take and make your own ideas like it's biblical truth when it's not. The Bible is very clear on these things. If Satan has done all this, and you know what? You know what? A, a picture of two women with children are. It's not a family. It's called mass confusion. Satan has caused mass confusion in our culture. Mass confusion in the crazy leadership of this country. Mass confusion now in the churches. Mass confusion among families. And man, it's, it's, it is coming to its head. Here's the thing. Born again believers in the churches of God are the only resistance of the crushing of this nation. The only hope. And I know that people say, and I agree 100%. There was a lady last week out on, I don't know if y'all saw her. She was out on the, on a, right there past, one of the parking lots past Walmart. And she said, campaigning for Jesus. I was like, heck yeah. 
And I've seen where it says, and Jesus is our only hope. And he's given us that place to promote him. He's given the church, born again believers who come together for that purpose. He's given the church the responsibility to stand in great resistance of darkness. Everything it promotes of wickedness, of unrighteousness. And if God's people are not going to shine the light, every single person within that church, not just preachers and worship leaders and Sunday school teachers, deacons, every Joe in the church is called to shine a light, to stand for truth, to walk in righteousness. And if we don't, this nation is going to crumble. I just want to narrow it down and make it real easy for you, okay? You, you, men, I'm going to beat you up again, I'm not. But God's given us not the responsibility only, but the privilege to stand and lead our families. It is an honor, an absolute honor to go, I know what other men are doing. And I know what the world says a man is. And I hold it a great honor and a privilege For me to teach my kids, which they're grown now, but to influence them when they were little and to teach them to go, I'm going to be the one who shows you what a godly man is. I know what other husbands do, and I'm not going with that jive. And I'm going to go against grain. And I want to lead my life, my wife in the right way. And I want to demonstrate what a Christian husband should look like. I count that an honor for my family and for the Lord. And God's given us that role. And if we do not, if we just kick back and take it casually, it's not just going to crush a nation. I promise you, I know this. It's going to crush your family, man. It's going to crush your family. It's going to crush your your kids. There, This casual Christianity, and what I mean by that is, oh, yeah, we go to church. And Sunday is your light. That's all you've got. Sunday's your light. You're hoping that, that the youth leaders and the Sunday school teachers and the preacher is going to tell your kids about Jesus and they're going to get saved. And you've done your part because you brought them to your Sunday light meeting. And I'll be 100% honest with you. I, I would love, I'll sit down and talk with any parents, any kids. There's a, all of our pastors would do that. Pastors' wives would do that. Love to, to take your kid and lead them straight to Jesus. But why in the world should we? Why should we take the privilege God's given you? As a parent, you should be confident and equipped and empowered that when you have prayed and you have spoken and you have lived an example to your kids in so much that they see Jesus and they desire to know him because they see him living through you, that you just simply take and lead them to the cross yourself. Then you bring them up here and go, just want the church to know that my Child is trusted in Jesus, and I had the honor to lead them to the cross. If you can't do that, then I pray. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rag on you, so I'm just saying, then make a decision to go. I haven't done that. I haven't done that in my life. I'm not talking about leading them in no prayer. Please don't do that. But I'm talking about living your life, speaking God's word, living a life of praise in front of your children that is consistent when you make mistakes, which we all do. Admit it. Use your mistakes to teach your children, okay? Teach them what true salvation is, repentance and faith towards Christ Jesus and Jesus alone for his sacrifice that he made. It's not about just baptism and coming to church and all that stuff. But man, if, you have, if you're not able to do that, then, then you know what repentance is? Well, then I'm going to stop making excuses and starting today, I'm going to be that parent. 
Now, in verse 13, you see the foundation of a nation, the strength of a culture, and the core of a thriving church. It says, now all Judah, notice what it says, with their little ones, their wives, their children, stood before the Lord. You know, you have men there that did what? The men heard the call of their king. They were responding to the call of Jehoshaphat, their king. Men, we have a king that is calling for us to lead our families and to bring them into his presence. To gather together with God's people in order that we can do what? In order that we can pray. In order that we can praise, in order that we can find direction, in order that we can find clarity, in order that we can seek the Lord, in order that they're watching us as we're watching Him, and God gives us His Word, speaks direction in our life, and we're like, alright, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to lead. That's what builds a strong family, a strong church, a strong nation. And somewhere along the way, we've lost it. You know, here's the thing, the attack is not out there. The attacks are not in California, it's not in New York, it's not in D.C. Satan's attack is in our city, in our homes, and in Cedar Creek Baptist Church. That's where the attack is. And if it's ignored and taken casually, that multitude's going to consume you, your children, your grandchildren, and generations to come. You know, there are those who take their Christianity and their faith casual. And they, they're saved early on in life. And they just do like what most every other so-called Christian does. They don't get all, you know, fanatical. You know, we, me and my wife talking last night. Somebody talking about casual. They was casual Christian. Y'all, y'all just this and y'all just that. And I told my wife, are they saying we're, we're holy? God help, God help us if I'm an example of holiness if you want to know the truth. If I'm the example of holiness and you're like, well, y'all just kind of take it overboard. I want to go, what exactly do you do? But if you take it casual and say, well, I I am saved. I am saved. And so you take it for granted your kids who are subjected to to 40 hours a week of of being in such a wicked, ungodly environment in public schools. And that's what the public school is. It's a wicked, ungodly environment. Not, I'm not talking about just what is taught or teached. I'm talking about the kids that they're around. We have people that are involved in schools, and I'm thankful for that. And there's one school with 460 kids, and one of the leaders of that school will say, there's probably 20 families that follow Jesus out of 460. Now, you're going to tell me your kids are not subjected to ungodliness and filth. People, I went to public school, and that was a long time ago. <laughs> There's no telling what they hear that you don't even have a clue about every day. And you're going to assume that because you bring them to the light one hour a week, that they're going to trust Jesus? Highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. If you take it casual, oh, you might make it through this life, and you might make your money, and you might have the American dream. But what about when you stand before the Lord and you look at children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren And your casual walk led to their eternal damnation. That's a tough one. Amen. But hey, I'm going to give you some hope right here. That was the toughest punch I got. All right. I want to shake you and I want to wake you up because here's the truth. There is is power in a praising family. There is power in a praising family. Now, here men are called to respond to the call of the king. 
And he's still calling today, and men need to respond, and women need to respond. And I know some of you ladies are single-parent moms, and you were put in that position, and God never intended it, but you've taken up the role, and God's going to empower you to teach your children and to raise those children up for the Lord Jesus Christ. So if the one who left you is a bum, they don't turn out like him. I know I probably shouldn't say that, but that's just true. Man that just deserts his family, this is not the Bible. This, in my opinion, is a bum, okay? Who needs Jesus and has hope, okay? Let's put some grace in there, man. It's hot in here, all right? But here's the thing. I just want to say, why are you saying these things to us this morning? And it's tough. Here's why. Because if this world continues in the direction that we're going, that it's racing towards, it's very possible, very possible, even most likely, that your children and your grandchildren are going to have to make a choice to lose their jobs, to give up possessions, to go to jail, to suffer greatly, and to give their life for Jesus in this nation. That's where we're headed, 9-0. Some of you go, I don't believe that. No matter what you believe, all you got to do is look. You don't got to be a prophet, a preacher, none of that stuff. Just look what's going. Look at the change towards the faith, the Bible, the church in the last 10 years. Double that, and that's where we're going to be. Especially when another nation who our leaderships are collaborating with comes in and takes us over, and all of our 3030s ain't going to stop that. You understand? And so when you think about that, you know, this week, somehow I got confused. I thought Calvin wasn't going to be there, and I was going to fill in for him. He teaches the third to fifth grade. One of my grandsons are in that class. And as I was preparing for that, I was praying. You know, Calvin did show up. I was like, man, thank you, Calvin. I'm glad I did. But anyhow, as I, was, as I was praying about that, I thought, the reality of one of my grandsons, one of my sons or daughters, But one of my grandsons might have to give his life for his faith in Jesus. That's very serious to me. And here would be my question for you. Are you preparing your kids for that? Are you preparing your kids to face that? Have you empowered them to face such a battle that they will face? You know, we think about them facing, you know, the temptation of drugs and the temptation is temptation that. They might face somebody going, you're going to give your life if you don't. Reject and renounce this so-called faith in this Jesus of yours. So is the faith that you're walking day by day in front of that boy, in front of that little girl, is it real enough that they look at your life and go, I would die because I know he's real. And he's not just real to my mom and daddy. They led me to him, but he's real to me. And I'll suffer and I'll give up job. And I'll give up name, and I'll give up image, and I'll give up possession. These are things the Bible talks about that happened to the early Christian in the book of Hebrews, the book of Acts. They're happening all over the world. Where the countries that are coming against us in a vast way are in control of those nations. And Christians are giving their life in horrendous ways every day simply for the gospel. Churches everywhere meeting underground this morning with the threat that if they are caught, they will lose their life at that moment. They will be executed. That is coming to the glorious United States of America in the future generations. We might get out of it. I'm not so sure about that. 
But our kids are facing that, and our grandkids are facing that, and our great-grandkids are facing that. And is the faith not that the church or the preacher is leading them in, that the parent is leading them in. Are you empowering them to find victory in that battle? Here's the thing. Jesus died to deliver us from the power of sin and hell, and he rose to empower us to live valiantly and victoriously in battle. So I want to finish right here. So they gather up, and in verse 14... They gathered up to do what? They started off in the power of prayer and they praised God for who he was in that prayer. And as they were praying and as they looked to the Lord, notice this, it says, then, after this, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jeiel, and the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And then he spoke the word of God to the people and he gave them clear direction of hope and victory. So get the point. When they praised and when they prayed, the spirit of God moved. We don't need intelligence. We do. But intelligence ain't fancier messages, bigger degrees, Longer words, learning Hebrew, knowing Greek, all of those things are good. But but that's not what's going to help us. You understand that? What's going to help us is spirit-filled people who believe God's word and they hear God's voice and they give clear direction to their family and to their church family. Here's the thing. God's Spirit brings power, direction, hope, and victory. You know why? Because God's Spirit inhabits the praise of His people. You want to see power in your life? Start praising the Lord truthfully, honestly, sincerely. Walk in that praise every day. Just try it. Just this week. I like to practice what I preach. And just this week, there was multiple times where normally I would have kind of went... And I would have focused on what was going on, the critical and the negative and gripe and complain and all these different things. But every time that something come up, the Lord's like, just, just praise me. And I'll just be honest with you. There's a couple times I went, praise. Lord, you know, I preach that. But what is praise going to do in this situation? The Lord's like, just try it. Just praise me. You know what I did? I just started praising the Lord. You might think it's crazy. Just, I, I dare you to try it. I started praising the Lord. You know what happened? Man, everything changed in a week. It, it was really good. I even got a phone call from a local Oklahoma game board telling me I was hunting a place that I wasn't supposed to be hunting and I was going to get fined $2,000. And I had some of the church people with me. I'm the one that told them it was great. And it was great hunting. I'll tell you all this story another day. But here's the thing. We didn't get to hunt where and it, we didn't get in trouble. But in all that, I was just praising the Lord. I started praising Jesus. While I was walking back to a truck thinking I could get fined two grand or go to jail for the, a total accident, people, all right? I started praising the Lord. You know what the game said? He was on the phone. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a mulligan on this one. I said, I appreciate mercy. appreciate that greatly. We went on with the trip. Didn't totally ruin it. We had a great time. Had some great fellowship. I think, at least I think we did. The other people there might not enjoy it. But I, I enjoyed it. I was praising the Lord. And we saw victory in that. It's just all week the devil tried to come against you in so many ways. Like, all right, Lord, in this, I'm going to praise you. I have to believe if God can bring me through little things, he can praise me right through big things and give me victory in life. And so in that, here's the thing. Satan wants to, here's what he wants to do. Here's how he attacks. He wants to, 
He wants you to dwell on your issues. And he wants you to keep us busy in your brokenness. And he wants to overwhelm you with the multitude of things in your life. And we've, we've even turned the church into that. Y'all heard me say it. Oh, this is, you know, this is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. No, it's not. This is not a hospital for sinners. It's a place where God's people victoriously gather in praise to the one who has already given us victory in the battle, who's given us the promise and clear direction to follow, whose spirit doesn't drop in amongst us, but he lives within us. We're the jars of clay that he has put his glory in, and he wants us to come together and let the world know we have already won. Man. And what praise does, it elevates Jesus to the highest level where he belongs in our hearts and in our homes. And we don't want just spirit-filled mamas. It's a shame that we have so many ladies that come to church and the dads stay home. Or so many women who are raising their kids and the dad is who know where. The absence of Adam started off with a nightmare and is continuing to grow. So what we want is some backwoods, prideful, blue-collar, no-educated, redneck men who are spirit-filled, who are unashamed of the gospel, who take their role as a, as a leader of their home, who love Jesus openly, unashamedly, unapologetically, and you find victory. That's what God's looking for. And all the other ones that don't fit into that. But I'm just talking to the people who are here. And I'm one of those men. You know, here's the thing. God doesn't just want a spirit-filled worship service. God wants a spirit-filled home where Jesus is always praised and Satan is always unwelcome. And I, I just want to finish with this right here this morning and I'll get you out of here, okay? This is going to start for next week. I'm not going to get heavy into this, but I just want to give you some hope. You can look at the world and see where it's at. You can see all the influence that it's having on your kids and your grandkids. You can look at a lot of churches that are in terrible situations and conditions and that are dead and half dead. You can go, it looks like we're losing the battle. Satan wants you to believe that. He wants to believe that. He wants to overwhelm you with the multitude. But I just want you to see, when the Spirit came upon this one man, one man has changed history. Throughout history, when you read the Bible, one man, Noah, one man, Moses, one man, Abraham, one man, David, one man, this dude, one man, Paul, one man, Jesus. God said, I'm looking for one man. There are many males. He said, but I'm looking for one man who will stand in the gap, who will pray that I might not destroy this nation. One man, one man in your family can make a huge difference for generations because you'll notice, he said he was a Levite. A Levite was what? The backbone. They were the backbone of the ministry. The priests took care of their things, but the Levites was the backbone. And they were also the men of worship. When David established the temple and Solomon established David assigned 4,000 Levites who were in charge of the morning and evening worship. I don't know if they all gathered at the same time, but there was a whole bunch of them every morning. Can you imagine 
You know, I would say that the temple was the center of that culture. And every day, and I'm almost finished, don't lose me. But every day, in the morning time, the Levites would gather. They would get the instruments that David invented, the Bible says. And they would just start the day off praising the Lord. If you was walking by the temple going to work, you would hear the praise of God. Probably join in. Get your mind set. Get your heart ready for the day. When you was going home in the evening after you had a battle that day, and you was ready to take it out on your poor wife, you was walking by, and all of a sudden you would hear the Levites in the evening praising, shouting glory to God. Every day, every day. That's what a Levite was. Where did this young man get the courage to stand up in this crowd and give him hope in a hopeless situation? Because his daddy and his granddaddy and his great-granddaddy and his great-granddaddy were men of praise. It was a lineage of praise that empowered this young man in one of the darkest times to recognize the spirit of the Lord, to clearly hear God's voice, and to make a stand that could have made him look like an absolute fool. But he stood for Jesus. And he spoke the word and he proclaimed. And if you'll keep reading that story, we'll finish next week. God gave them a great victory. God's looking for one man. You know what, man? You know who's going to save your marriage? You know who's going to save your family? You know who's going to save your children? Who's going to save your grandchildren? One man. That's right, my brother, right there. One man will. One man will. When men begin to stand and, and live in this way, God can give you a great victory. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. We head bowed. And I just want to encourage some parents and some grandparents today. God doesn't dwell in the past. He's the God of the living. Jesus said, if any man puts his hand to the plow and looks back, he's not fit for the kingdom of God. He doesn't want you looking back. What God wants you to deal with is the space you're in right now. Quit letting the devil tell you how much you failed, how much you didn't, how much you should have. Start listening to Jesus to go, I'm right here and ready to start today. I'm right here today. I can, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. God can take whoever and mold you into a man who can be an example, who can bring hope, who will be a man of courage, who can lead their family out of the pit and lead your family into a place of glory. Same thing with you mamas. A lot of times there's men who want to who wanna lead and a woman is resistant and rebellious, maybe lost. My, my greatest hope of this message is I have a great hope for your family. A great hope. That you'll give your life to Jesus because he can transform and change everything. Maybe you didn't have the greatest mom and daddy, but you can be that great mom and daddy. God can change everything. I'll testify that. God can take something that's dead and raise it to life. Doesn't start with church. Doesn't start with, I'm going to really knuckle down. It starts with humbling yourself in your pride, just like I had to and still do. To go, Jesus, I made a mess. I made a mess of my life. Made a mess of my marriage. Made a mess of my raising my kids. But you're the God who takes a mess. And you turn it into something that is glorious. And I just want you to take my life and my family. God, I want to live by your word. I want to connect myself to some mighty men and women in this church who are going to encourage and inspire and empower me to live a life of victory.
So that God forbid, if your kid comes to the place where he has to give his life or she has to give her life or she has to go to jail for talking about Jesus and that moment of temptation comes, she can look back to where her mama lived or look back to where her daddy or the grandparents go, they were willing and I'm going to do the same thing because God is real. If you're here this morning, maybe you just want to come and pray. I just want to, normally I don't do this, but I just want to challenge you this morning, man. Maybe you've never prayed with you. I get stupid today. That I've never, I've never come to, you don't got to come to the altar, and I, I, I tell you that all the time. But maybe God wants you to humble yourself. I'm not about trying to get a big response. I don't care nothing about that. But maybe, maybe God's going, just grab her hand and take her and pray. Sounds stupid. Be stupid. Be stupid for Jesus. Or maybe it's your kids. Maybe you're a dad or mom. Maybe you pray with them all the time. Maybe you've never prayed with them. And look down at little Johnny right now. Little Johnny, I just, want, I just want to pray with you. Dad's never prayed with you, and I'm sorry for that, but I'm going to start today leading you and being a better daddy or a better mom. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I love you.